you want to maybe just before you sit down, if you want to just head to my left, your right, do you want to grab a Bible? Or maybe you've uh, got a tablet, smartphone, some other device where you can um, access God's holy word. Um, if you've got a green Bible, we're, in, we're on page um, 1067, 1067, but this is Romans chapter 3, if you're finding your own, on your own device. Really nice to see you. If we haven't met, I'm Tim, the vicar here. Um, good to see you. Just trying out a little for, different format, summer vibes. Love being in a church where we sing the chorus of one of the best known Christmas carols during a heat wave in August. That's just freedom. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> oh, uh, verse 21. Thank you, Matthew. Chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 21. Down to 26. A little chunk of scripture. It's, it's, we've come in the middle of a letter. The, the, it's a kind of magisterial argument of uh, um, Paul. Not, not like a negative argument, he's just, he's rolling out a case for God acting in human history with all people. Uh, he's addressing, he's addressed the Jews, um, the, traditionally the people of God, the, the favoured ones. We, he's actually saying, do you know what, even though historically you are the favoured ones, don't, don't start judging yourself, don't start putting yourself above others, known as the Gentiles, those who weren't known as the people of God, you're no better than them. Uh, because actually we all, well, as we're going to read, we, we all come under a new jurisdiction in God. So that's, that sort of explains the but now of verse 21. So I'll read these, these five verses. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What an amazing passage. Father, we pray, take the truth and the beauty and the power, the perspective of those words from Paul applied to those people back there, back then, and by your spirit, apply them to us here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Do you, do you, kinda, do you need that fan? Okay. 
Um, I'll tell you what sparked, um, sparked my... So, August, have we got... Yeah, glorious one-off. So, I'm, this is a glorious one-off. And um, what I want to do is to trot through a biblical narrative. I've got four headings. Uh, a biblical theology. Uh, a, a reason for, uh, for, for why we understand what we understand. Why we believe what we believe. And, and therefore, why we look to live in the way we live. So, that's what I'm, I'm looking to do. And it was sparked by a conversation with um, Simon Ponsonby, who, incidentally... Uh, is going to be our speaker at the next weekend away uh, towards the end of January next term, so next year. So um, start saving up the pennies. We'd love you to be there. And Simon Ponsonby is the teaching pastor. He's ordained and uh, is a teaching pastor at St. Aldate's Church in Oxford. Um, but just a brilliant... He's just one of those who's got a real gift of unpacking um, the Word of God to feed our lives. And I, I found myself in... I don't know him that well, but I was, I was just... We were sort of at a conference together and we were... I was just talking to him, and we were talking about um, uh, the power of Scripture, how we kind of this, this when, we, when we really dig into the, there are some easy bits, but there are some harder bits, and when we really dig into it, uh, how this feeds and fuels our lives. And we were talking, maybe and not, not so helpfully perhaps, about, about some Christians that we knew who would count themselves in, in the kind of the term is evangelical. In other words, people who really hold to the authority of God through Scripture to speak to our lives, kind of evangelical Christians. But we were sort of lamenting that some evangelical Christians that we kind of knew um, didn't necessarily hold, in, hold on to the, the kind of ministry of the Spirit in the way that Simon and I, for example, would share, or the gifts of the Spirit, or certain things that it appears to us the Bible teaches. And he said, I just remember him saying, as a slightly sort of, you know, dismissive, I think he waved his hand. He said, uh, he said, the trouble with evangelicals is they're not evangelical enough. <laughs> in, in other words, the, the, the thing about some people who say, I really believe in the Bible, is they don't believe in the Bible enough. And, and it was one of those where you, you know when you hear something and you sort of laugh and you think, oh yeah, that applies to everyone else. And, and the sort of spirit just gently whispers or knocks or nudges and says, yeah, Tim, are you in that, you in that category at all in any way, I wonder? That I read stuff and I think, yeah, yeah, but I, I, yeah, but I, I don't have to kind of take that on board. I don't have to change my life. I, don't really have to take that bit seriously. I can dismiss that bit. And, you know, I, I can kind of pick and choose. I can put myself in authority over the Bible rather than allowing the Bible by the inspiration of the Spirit to be in authority over, over me. So I guess the sort of frame for this talk this evening is, well, do we believe it enough? I, I know you believe it. Everyone, we'd, all, we'd all believe it. But do we believe it enough? Kind of chance to refresh what we believe. So creation, fall, redemption, completion. That's where we're going. First of all, creation. Can we have the first? There it is. Um, God is so good. I know we believe in God. We believe God is good. That's what the Bible says. But do we believe in the goodness of God as we look at creation all around, as we witness all that he is and all that he's done? The, the, the first line of the creed, which is a statement of belief for all Christians, I believe in God. Do you know the next bit? The Father, oh, we ought to do it. We ought to do a refresh on the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And I wonder whether we, we can 
quite quickly slide to that second bit. I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. He's like this sort of um, amazing sort of benign CEO of a multinational company. I mean, he's just sort of like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. I'll, I'll never really get to know you. You're, you're awesome and incredible. Will, last week, you know, is, is God real or, or is God realistic? Is it plausible to think that there might be um, a, a kind of, you know, a, a, an intelligent design to all that we see around us? More plausible to believe that something or someone created nothing out of, created something out of nothing, rather than nothing created something out of nothing. Um, I commend Will's, we, we kind of recorded Will's talk and we, we're going to make it available so you can kind of uh, digest that again. So believe in God, creative heaven and earth. But I am a creed. I believe in God. First thing we say is Father Almighty, personal being knowable, loving. I'm very conscious, just statistically in this room, there'll be a number of us who've not had a good experience of our fathers here on earth for all sorts of reasons. So we maybe wrestle or battle with that. But the Bible encourages us to press through that difficulty to believe that God is so good. He is an almighty father to us. I believe in the goodness of God. I, I want to encourage us, this first point, to press into more than just I believe in God tick. You, when, you, when you're looking to introduce someone, uh, someone you know to someone else, you say, oh, do you know so-and-so? You're, you're not actually asking, are you aware that they exist? You're assuming that you, you well, even if they do, you, you say, look, th these people exist. What I'm actually asking you is, do you know something about how their existence has a bearing on those around them? That they're kind or fun or generous or thoughtful or helpful. You, do you know so-and-so? They're so, you might qualify. Do you know so-and-so? They're really... And you immediately go to a virtue or a characteristic or a quality about them. You wouldn't just say, you know, are you aware that something? Yeah, that exists. Great. Tick. There's more. It's, it, there's, a, there's a relational impetus behind that. So how much more with God? Do we believe enough in the goodness, the creativity, the imagination, the desire, the passion, the emotions, the will, the plans, the purposes of our Father Almighty? the goodness of God. That's why as a, if you're new or getting to know us or maybe you're just visiting, you think, gosh, we spent a long time singing today. <laughs> as a tradition, I mean, again, this isn't prescribed and it's just, it's just, this is how we kind of choose to do things. We just set aside time in a, in a world and a culture that sort of is all about us, you know, securing self. We say, no, no, there's, you know, there's someone even greater than self who will secure us if we Look to him, honor him, sing to him, praise him. So creation, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all that is. He's so good. Creation. Secondly, fall. Which, by the way, is just shorthand. And we often in... Christian circles, we can often use shorthand and um, begin to believe the shorthand rather than the longhand that it points to. Um, um, an example would be, oh yeah, I, I, I'm saved by faith. 
I'm a Christian by faith. And we think, oh, it's my faith. Oh, so maybe I, my salvation's all down to me. No, we're saved by grace through faith. That's a long hand to well, uh, Ephesians 2, among other places in the New Testament where that's quite, I'm, I'm saved by God's grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And, and, and the fall, it's worth remembering, it's, it's the fall from grace. Grace is God's generosity. God's, it's, it's undeserved riches. Undeserved splendor that is ours. And, and when in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve disobeyed the commands of God that banished from the garden, they, they leave paradise, which was, wasn't theirs. God had created it and invited Adam and Eve, representing humankind, to be part of his beauty and pleasure, delight. And, and we, we fell from that entitlement. We fell from grace, the fall. Subtitle, we have an awful lot in common. <laughs> Do we believe that? Do we believe that enough? That when it comes to the fall from grace, we all have an awful lot in common. Or, as we're slightly encouraged to, in, it just... In all of life, frankly, subconsciously, passively, do we create some kind of pecking order in our lives? You, you kind of probably know how you're doing. If, you're, if you work in a team or you've got colleagues around on sort of similar pay scale, responsibility, etc., you've probably got a pretty acute idea of how you're doing compared to them. And at school, you, you know, the teachers would grade you, mind you, so you know, you kind of roughly had an idea where, you, but you kind of also really knew. You know, who was in and who out. There were all sorts of subtle pecking orders that went unchallenged. So we've kind of learned to, to live with this idea that, that some are, I mean, we're all in, everyone's in, but some are more in than others. Some are more worthy than others. So do we believe enough? Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Martin Luther argued that sin starts with the false belief that God is not good or not good enough. You hear it in the serpent's questions in the story of that fatal temptation in Genesis 3. Did, did God really say? Which is code for, you think he's really good? You think there's an alternative, other options? Have you explored? You really think he's completely trustworthy? Hmm, maybe not, Eve thinks. Maybe not, Adam says. Maybe not. And we begin to doubt the goodness of God, and that's when sin takes hold. And frankly, every single one of us, we've all, the Bible says it there in black and white, suddenly describing what deep down we really know. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me tiptoe onto slightly controversial ground here. Now you're listening. Uh, there's been a, a big gathering of all the bishops from around the world in the Anglican Communion. It's known as the Lambeth Conference, and it takes place every 10, 12 years or so. And um, actually, I gather from one or two people who were actually there um, who've talked to me, it was, a, it was by and large a really positive um, conference week, 10 days or so. 
talking on all sorts of issues really important, not least the environment, climate, um, persecution of uh, Christian minorities around the world, all sorts of talks and discussions and so on. But perhaps inevitably in certain parts of social media and the headlines and so on, it was a small proportion of the conference that was devoted to trying to work through the, the, the knotty disagreements around um, human sexuality. And, and the debate at times I gather got and has been, you know, indirectly on Twitter and etc. Um, has got quite toxic. So the frame here is, do we believe enough? And that, that little verse Paul says here, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So do we, do we really believe that? Because you see, in the area of sexu human sexuality, I, I wonder whether a false biblical assumption has sort of crept in, which basically and crudely runs like this. If I'm straight, I'm, oh gosh, that's not the Lord. No. <laughs> Don't worry, if I'm straight, I'm, I'm basically righteous and acceptable to God. And if I'm gay or experience same-sex attraction, then basically I'm condemned and not acceptable to God. And I just want to refute the whole premise of that assumption, if indeed it is an assumption that floats around the church or has floated around the church. Look, look, look with me. This, this is why this, this is why, let's believe this. Paul says, verse 21 of chapter 3, but now apart from the law, what's the law? The law is the way in which human beings order themselves. Here, look, why don't we regulate? Why don't we order? Why don't we set up standards or expectations? Why don't we, you know, yeah, formulate culture and society so we can all get on together? And, and we're pretty good at doing that, to a point. But there, there's a law that transcends this law, but now, apart from the law, otherwise separate from the law, different from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Oh, oh yeah, that's a better way of understanding who we are in relation to one another and understanding who we are in relation to God. That's a much, oh yeah, let's go with the righteousness of God. This righteousness, verse 22, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all, to all to all who believe. There is no difference between, this is his categorizing now, but then, Jew and Gentile. Huge animal, the massive Twitter spats back then between Jew and Gentile. All sorts of toxic arguments between them, there, then. So just read whatever the toxic debate is now for Jew and Gentile. There's no difference, Paul says, between whoever it might be. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, coming on to that, that came by Jesus Christ. Not by the fact that you're gay, straight, bi, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And yet, and I could stray from the sexual, move from sexuality to, I mean, here I am speaking as a white, older married, tertiary-educated male living in the West. And I have to battle with arrogant assumptions that that makes me okay. And frankly, I mean, I'd never say it out loud, but in, in, in here or in here, or, 
in the murky parts that still compose elements of Tim Stilwell, I'm better than, or at least I, dot, dot, dot. I'm, I'm, I'm creating a pecking order, which is my, is my own little law that's been gazumped by the righteousness of God that comes freely to me and freely to you and freely to every single person in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not to say that the Bible doesn't have stuff to say about sexuality. By the way, in the, those instances where the Bible does talk about sexual immorality, it also talks about, same sentence, greed, um, revelry, and other such. So we should pay attention. So I did that, just looking over my glasses, I sort of headmasterly, quite enjoyed that little power kick. Not that I'm free from temptation to revelry, may I just say. A righteousness from God, apart from human law, through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no difference. All have sinned. Tim Keller, who um, has recently stepped down as the teaching pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in, in, uh, in Manhattan, New York, and he, um, he, he, he sums it up like this. Just coming back on the, on the sexuality debate and how sometimes we can attempt, people can attempt to appropriate what they understand of Scripture to form a, uh, a, a judgment, a, a righteousness of their own. He says, no one ever went to hell because they were gay. And no one ever went to heaven because they were straight. Actually, he's not talking about gay or straight. He's not talking about sexuality. What he's talking about is salvation. And sexuality is not our savior. Whoever you are and whatever you experience, Jesus Christ is. You're gay, straight, bi, Q, trans, whoever you understand you are in that element of your life, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely through faith in Jesus Christ. Sexuality is not the determinant. Jesus is. Because we have an awful lot in common. The bad stuff, all of us, whoever we are, and the great stuff, justified freely through his grace. Thirdly, redemption. Subtitle, how deep the Father's love for us. Do you believe that enough? Do you believe that enough? How deep this Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, loves you. 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 Do you believe it enough? We, we sing it. How deep the Father's love for us. How fast without, is it, what it without measure. Beyond all measure, thank you. I won't sing anymore. Do you really believe it? That he loves you? To rescue you from sin? See, what, what happens in certain elements of the church, just my opinion, I may be wrong, you can disagree, is that because, we, because there's a disconnect between what we really know about ourselves, we, we are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God, but we don't really believe that God loves us that much. So we think he's not, if, if he really knew, he wouldn't go anywhere near me. So he's not going to rescue me. So I then have to find ways to rescue myself, to justify myself. And, and we just, we settle for a, an anemic farce of the gospel. 
Rico Tice says, you know, you are, you are more sinful than you ever dared believe and more loved than you ever dared hope. Believe it. Final words on the cross. It is finished. And the, and the word for, for finished there was used often, um, in fact, they found it in excavations, I think it was in Ephesus, and they found around about sort of Jesus' time, they found these um, uh, sort of stamps, like, like a you know, bank clock stamp or whatever, and it had the word that is the Greek word for finished in, in that um, cry of Jesus. And, but it was when a, when a kind of bank clerk said, yep, debt paid. I said, yep, debt paid, boom. And it was completely paid. It is finished, completely paid. Every last drop, spot, blemish of your sin, my sin, paid. When he cried, it is finished. Free from the penalty of sin, washed from the pollution of sin. We had a baptism this morning. Love, by the way, I'd love to do baptisms in the evening. Like we, I've got a big pool um, and we bring it in and, and fill it up with water and then we just completely fully emerge baptismal candidate. So if you, uh, you know and love the Lord Jesus, you're on that journey, uh, but you don't think you were baptized as a, as a kid. Um, or actually what we do as part of that is kind of reaffirm the baptismal vow that was made on your behalf when you were a child. Um, we'd love to do that. It's, it's so good. It's theatrical. It's big. The sort of sound of the water. and It's just visual and visceral. And it, and it says, I'm dying to self and sin. I'm being washed completely. Woof, up you come. New life. So please, I, 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 I really like to do it. Um, be a great training thing for, for Louis, our curate. She's, yeah, come on. So don't, don't deprive us. Oh, I've lost my thread. What was I saying? That's right, um, released from sin, washed, the pollution of sin, freed from the, from the grip of its power. Do you really believe this? Do you believe this enough? That that is what God has done in Christ for, for you, for me. The reality is, let's be honest, the reality is most of us, we're at, there'll be times in the day, in the week, in our lives, when we, we kind of don't feel that. We're, we're, aware that. we're aware of the falling short bit, we're, we're aware of how we stuff it up. We're aware of cycles and habits and patterns that we just don't seem to be able to break. Oh, I've done it again. And we, we're aware that we fall short and we, we struggle to believe that God has truly done something about our sin such that we can step into a brand new life, new identity. Trigger alert to this next slide. Um, it's uh, an indulge me just, it's an August indulgence, but this is um, a picture of my, my uh, new granddaughter. So I'm very conscious some of you, some of you love to be married and we love to have children, and so forgive me for that. But um, here she is. There she is on the left. She's less than 24 hours old in the capable hands of granny. And um, the thing about, she's called Etta, when she was less than 24 hours old, um, was that actually all the, the light was just fright. She looked, in fact, if I'm honest, she looked stressed insofar as I know anything about one day old babies. But she just looked really stressed. She was kind of blinking and the light, she was kind of, she looked really, uh, yeah, in, in kind of turmoil. But 
she'd begun a brand new life. I think the torment and the stress was because she'd spent nine months in a dark, watery sack, just growing perfectly happily. And then suddenly, she has to sort of squeeze herself through a tiny little gap um, in order to plop out the other side. And there's no kind of comforting sort of watery sounds, and it's all bright and dry, and I've got to wear this thing on my body. That's really weird, really weird. I mean, she, I think she looked stressed because she, it was just such a different and new, radically different experience to what she's been used to. But here's the thing. She's born, she's a baby, she's a human being. She's no less human than her parents and grandparents. And, and at no stage do we say, oh, <laughs> look at our little ex-fetus. I said, look at this newborn baby. As unusual and foreign and awkward as it felt for her, as much as if she could express an opinion, she might like to have gone back into where it was wet and cozy, she, she'd begun her life, fully-fledged human being. Not mature, lots of growing to do, but, but, but complete in that sense. No less human than any of us in this room. The, the, the call of the Christian life, redeemed by the Father, His grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, is to live the life you've been called into. No matter how unusual or odd or strange it can feel, begin to live who you are. Live who we are. That's, that's why six months later, she's kind of chill with life. She's experiencing what it is to live outside the womb. She's experiencing what it is to live as a little human being. And we pray and support all of that. Same to, okay, let's take the baby pictures off. Um, go back to the heading. Redemption, how deep the Father's love. That's what he longs for each and every one of us, that we would grow into our identity as children of God. Redemption means to, to it, well, it comes into the idea of buying in the marketplace, of, of, of uh, households going to the slave market and, and paying a ransom for the slave so that they could come and serve and live in the house. And God, in that metaphor, goes one further. He doesn't just buy you out of slavery. He adopts you as his son or daughter. Slaves were bought out of slavery, orphans or something. Mum and dad had been you know, wiped off in the plague. And so, well, well, we'll provide a home for you, but you're still a slave, like a you know, domestic servant. You're not my son. So you can belong here, you can eat the food, you can lie here and do it. You, you, know, you have certain rights and privileges, but you're, you're not my family. And, and God, through his grace, takes that partial metaphor, or that metaphor partially, and just goes beyond. He says, no, not only are you no longer a slave to sin, I, I now confer on you the status of son, daughter. You've been born again into my spiritual family. Do you believe that enough? Simon Ponsonby would say. Do you believe that enough? By the way, you just, if, you, if you looked at the, the photo and something in you went, oh, imagine how your father feels about you, your heavenly father. If we, though, are human, Jesus says, you know, you kind of imperfect human beings. If you can go, oh, imagine, imagine how much more your father delights in seeing you grow into the likeness of his son.
Do you believe enough? I guess behind this, do you believe enough, is, is the, the, what we tend to do is flatten the texture of the rich texture of the biblical narrative, biblical theology. God is so good. We are, in Calvinist terms, we are so depraved. But God's done something about that. He's rescued us in his son. We're not just living as a slave in his household. Son, daughter. Wow. Um, Sinclair Ferguson's a professor of theology. Um, and he's based in a church, St. Peter's Church thing. It's just outside Edinburgh. And there's this quote. He says this. It's misleading to say that God accepts us the way we are. That's just a rather anemic. Rather, he accepts us despite the way we are. He receives us only in Christ and for Christ's sake. But nor does he mean to leave us the way he found us, but to transform us into the likeness of his son. I don't know about you, but that sounds way more hopeful than God is love, love is God, everyone's welcome. No. You, I mean, everyone's welcome. You're, you're really welcome because you have no idea how much you need God. <laughs> you do, I do. We're so sin-stained and depraved. But guess what? God has done something unbelievable about that. He sent his son, the one person who didn't sin, to die on sin's behalf, to release us from sin so that we could know the full love of our Father in heaven. Wow. And God is at work. He's, he lives in you. His spirit lives in you, transforming you bit by bit from the inside out so that that, that becomes real hope. I had a subtitle for, um, if we just go back to the, the slide. Thank you. Uh, redemption, how deep the Father's love for us. Uh, but I was working with, you have no idea. Redemption, you have no idea. In other words, you, you, we, we couldn't have made it up. If we'd, if we'd come up with our own laws of how we might make ourselves acceptable to God, we would have fallen far short. I can't possibly. I couldn't, couldn't, what, he's got one son, he sends his son, and he dies. His, his son dies. But, no, 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 that's far too much. Just, you know, a little bit of penance, purgatory maybe. No. God goes to the whole nine yards. We have no idea just how much he loves us. Do you believe enough? And when I say no idea, literally, this is, uh, don't worry to turn to it, but um, Paul to the church in Corinth, he says, well, he quotes, from Isaiah. He says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his spirit. We've, we've got no idea just how far from grace we fell and just how far God went to bring us back. No idea. It, literally, no idea. We wouldn't have conceived that ourselves. God reveals it to us. And we receive that revelation, his grace, through faith. We, we dare to believe that it's possible, it's realistic, that God might love us that much. That we can walk into brand new life. It's, it's revelation. That's why we, again, a danger for us. I'm, I'm going to make the charitable assumption that everyone here is really bright and intelligent because you are I, I told you I mean I'm not this isn't flattery you, you've, you we have I'm assuming I don't know everyone here but I'm assuming that most of us here have received a decent education so we, we you know we think yeah and yet and yet we as intelligent and bright and creative as we are 
we, we can't see all that God has done for us. We need revelation. That comes by his spirit. That's why we pray at the end. We will pray at the end of this for, for fresh or renewed or deeper revelation of God's love for us. Finally, briefly, completion. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. C.S. Lewis said this, if we discover within ourselves a desire that nothing in this world appears to satisfy, then maybe it suggests we were made for another world. If I find within me a desire that somehow never fully satisfied here on earth, maybe it points to the fact that I was made for another life, another world, ultimately. That, that our experience here on earth is what the prayer book calls this service, short and transitory, fleeting. New Testament talks about us being aliens and just residents, tenants on earth. This isn't home. Eternity with God. Heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. We pray for that. We long for that. That's the source and security of our hope. And it's in that context that God completes us. We work through our salvation now with God, cooperate with God now on earth to, to shed off those fleshly bits, to become more and more of a son, less and less of a slave. And there will come a time when God will complete that work in us. Wow. I'm rereading um, Fill These Hearts by uh, Christopher West, a Catholic um, evangelist, really. Uh, he's done a lot of study on the work of John Paul II, Pope, about two popes ago, um, who himself did a lot of rich theology around the theology of the body. With, as if, as, uh, in general, as Protestants, we've, we've been a bit weak on our understanding of um, the, 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 the rich marriage of spirit and, and flesh, if you like. We've tended to sort of you know, have our spiritual lives and then we we live our sort of, you know, normal lives. We've, we've been a bit platonic in our thinking. And um, there's, a, there's a real rich theology that Chris West has sort of taken. He's written up in the, in the book, Fill These Hearts. I really recommend the book. It says, you know, we, each of us, we have these desires. A deep desire, often expressed most acutely in sexual desire. You, you know what it is to, to fancy someone, to, to, to long for a romantic relationship ultimately consummated in the sexual act. You all know what that feels like, that desire is everything. It's just part of a, a whole range of desires that God has put in us. And that desire points to the way in which he's designed us as human beings, ultimately to reach our destiny. So desire, design, destiny, three parts of the book. And our destiny is actually beyond this earth. These desires won't ever be fully satisfied in this life. This is just... This is, just a, you know, this is just creation. It's, it's ultimately sort of in, it's just stuff. That won't satisfy the deep hunger of our lives that lives in us. That's eternal union with God. That's our destiny. And that's the source of our hope. So we, we, we look to what is coming, that when, when God completes us, when he removes us from this short and transitory life, and roots us in eternity, where we enjoy him forever. Final slide is, um, is a picture of um, 
so I could have made it a bit bigger. Uh, well, you can, you can Google it later. It's, um, so this is it's known as the ecstasy of St. Teresa, a statue or, or sculpture, rather, completed in 1652 by um, Gian Lorenzo Bernini, um, kind of high Baroque period. But he kind of, he was a bit of a sort of maverick figure, so he, he, he sort of broke some of the rules around what was acceptable in that art form at that time. So he's got this sort of secret window, you can probably just glimpse it at the top, which throws light down on this um, religious ecstatic experience that St. Teresa uh, had. She wrote, up, she wrote it up in her a kind of autobiography. She had these really intense visions of God, really intense spiritual experiences, kind of, you know, hairs on the back of your neck type thing. And, and this one depicts, you can see that that's um, Teresa on the right, um, and this, this vision of heaven coming down, and the, the, you, you see her sort of outer clothing is all kind of ruffled. It's, it's, you know, it's quite, it, it's sort of, you know, it really lives, it's vibrant. And the figure on the left is an angel, and in this, in this kind of visitation, she saw this angel with, if he, I wish it was bigger, sorry, but in, back in her right hand is a spear. And in this, in this sort of kind of ecstatic, almost seemed real, vision of um, St. Teresa, she, she pictured the angel thrusting the spear into her side, kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, reminder of, of Christ's own passion on the cross. And she experienced the physical pain, maybe possibly even leading to, to death. But, but what it also released, this, this, it sounds weird, but what it also released in her was a greater longing to be in glory. So although she experienced the pain of being thrust with this spear and, and it sort of signifying our brief and short pain in our transitory life here on earth, what it did, to, what it, did sorry, it catalyzed in Teresa this greater sense of, but I'll, I'll, I'll see the Lord. My, my life will be complete. My deepest longings and deepest desires will be ultimately and eternally satisfied. And that notion is, is, is on her face. I'm, again, you'll have to Google it and have a look. Look at a close-up. Christopher West, make, I became aware of this through his book. And um, he says, frankly, the look on her face is orgasmic. But actually, a sexual orgasm it just falls way short of what it is to be captured by God. But you know, there are some people who are offended by that. Oh my goodness! You know, we can't we can't have statues looking like that. And 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 Chris West was like, "Yes, you can, and yes, we need to." Do you believe it enough? God loves us enough that, that, that these passions that we find, these desires that we find in can ultimately be satisfied. I mean, oh, I'll never, it'll never really happen. I'll just have to squash them down. No, no, release them. But he says, release them in the right way. Pay attention to the way we've been designed as human beings to point towards God through this life. Don't be satisfied by this life. Don't make gods out of things, good things into God things. Don't idolize. For example, so many in our culture do. It will only lead to disappointment. It won't ultimately satisfy. Aim for St. Teresa. That, that even though you're kind of even though it's painful in this life, I'll go through the pain because of the ecstasy that is mine in Christ. Do you believe that enough? That God is so good, we've kind of come full circle. God is so good. 
even though I'm so sinful, he has completely redeemed me, it's finished, in order to transform and complete me. A framework for our biblical understanding. Here are some of these. I, 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 my hope and prayer is you, you kind of see that. There's Paul prays, the eyes of your heart are opened. And, and that this, as we, as we believe in it more and more, we press into this. This fuels and shapes and inspires and excites how we live and who we are. Let's stand together. just in this space I'd, I'd love this is kind of general prayer we'd love to offer specific prayer but just generally for every single one of us that we kind of digest an element just as the spirit has led and, and prompted you an element of that biblical theology something you think well I, you know, I'm not sure I do believe that as fully as I could I'm not leaning into that as much as I might. And underneath that, the, the longing of the Father to call you into a greater degree of son or daughtership. greater revelation father we pray greater revelation now by your spirit that as paul prays the eyes of our hearts may be opened that we'd see in a way that we can't see with our eyes we know in a way that we don't know fully with our minds spirit we dare to pray for teresa like experience knowledge a new or deeper sense of your great love for us and the challenge and privilege for us to orient our lives around you, whatever the pain, whatever the cost. You're worth it. We believe in you. We believe even more in you. Come, Holy Spirit, now these dear brothers and sisters and all of us come